And so today, I, I want to just continue in that vein and talk about called to proclaim or called to proclaim. Kevin said last week that liberty is God's will for us. Liberty is God's will for us. And that got me thinking because with the battle of freedom of choice, um, how do we help people choose freedom? You see, the dictionary says liberty is freedom to live as you choose without too many restrictions from government authority or the state of not being a prisoner or slave. Um, Today, I want to talk to you guys about liberty and about the liberty Christ proclaims. But in order to do that, I thought, hey, my kids said last time I preached, I was incredibly boring. So I got a prop. I don't know how many of you guys love sports, but uh, soccer is a pretty good sport. Uh, My father-in-law, he loves baseball. Baseball is another sport, right? Uh, My favorite is basketball basketball. And as I was thinking about freedom and self-autonomy and our nation's drive, really the, 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 the heartbeat of our nation and this concept of freedom, I got thinking about sports and thinking about how, have you ever tried to play baseball with a basketball? You, you tried to play baseball with a basketball? I mean, good luck. I guess you're free to do whatever you want, right? You're free to do whatever you want. Um, one thing that makes me incredibly upset, especially if you're at the YMCA, is when kids kick a basketball. This ball right here is not meant to be kicked. It'll get lumps on it. You'll ruin it. And you can't dribble it properly. It won't bounce properly. It'll mess up your shot because of the way it hits the rim. It cannot be kicked. There is a rule to sports. Sports have restraints. Those restraints, those rules... Help us play that sport. And if you know the rules and you practice the sport, there is a freedom, such a freedom in that sport. I love basketball. I have it memorized. I can tell you everything about it. Um, don't have to think about it. Uh, I play it twice a week. And, and there's a freedom when you know the sport and you embrace the restraints. But if you go around kicking basketballs, you're, you're, not, you're not doing that sport a favor. I mean, this sport here is meant to be kicked. Now, in basketball, we have goaltending, right? I don't know how many of you know what that is. Completely different sport over here, goaltending. Different rules, different sports. And so today, I just want to challenge us to think about what does it mean to live in freedom in the kingdom of God? Freedom is invoked as the means to self-fulfillment. But true freedom comes when we embrace the restraints, the rules, and play the game the way it was meant to be played. We must play the game the way it was meant to be played. We must embrace our design. If we don't, we hurt ourselves. You heard it said, well, I'm not harming anyone. If it doesn't harm anyone, it's okay. Well, we're going to learn today that we harm our souls when we don't embrace the game and play it the way it was intended to be played. So our passage is going to come from Luke. And Jesus, this is incredible. I get excited. All right, let's pray. All right, we prayed. Let's, let's, I'm, going to, I'm going to do this one. So, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love this part. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He like dropped the mic. And it says the eyes of those in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were fixed on him. We radiate the hope of freedom when we stand up and speak out. When we stand up and speak out, we radiate the hope of freedom. Yet, we're not free to defame. See, we're called to proclaim, but not to defame. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States or if you work at McDonald's. You have no right to call someone a total loser, right? I don't know how many of you guys keep up with Facebook. But to use those terms, to defame someone you know, we can disagree without hating. We don't have to defame. Freedom doesn't give us the right to act unrighteously. Freedom does not give us the right to act unrighteous. But we, I will, there is no such thing as freedom without restraints. There is no such thing as freedom without restraints. We must proclaim. We must overcome the voices that wish to silence our freedom. We must proclaim in love. Go to the next slide. I've heard it said so many times, you're just a white North American evangelical. You are encouraging, promoting cultural imperialism. Shut up. Sit down. Be quiet. Shut up, sit down, be quiet. Over and over again, I've been told a white man can't pastor in Africa. A white man has no voice in a foreign country. Just stay home, be quiet, shut up, sit down. And I know we've been told over and over again, be quiet, Let, keep it to yourself. You know, yeah, okay, you're free, that's good for you. That's your freedom. Your, your, your liberty, yay for you, that's yours. Leave me alone. But if you ask this man, if you asked him, should we be quiet? Look at that face. He would tell you, no, no, we have to proclaim. We have to scream from the rooftops the liberty and freedom we have in Christ. Because if you don't, I don't receive that freedom. I don't experience the hope you have. If we don't radiate the hope of freedom, then our friends, our neighbors, they don't experience that freedom. And so he would tell you, please come, please proclaim, please speak up, stand up, speak out. It is in that voice that freedom comes. 
verse 16 through 17, it, it baffles me. And I know you guys probably don't read as much as I would when it comes to, like, theology. It's just my thing. But think about this. Jesus was taught where to stand. Jesus was taught where to stand, and I think he was taught by his father. Joseph trained Jesus. He trained him how to read the scriptures, we think, maybe in Hebrew itself. We, he, he trained him how to participate in the synagogue. A little side note, over and over again we hear it said, that's old, church is old. Why do you do that? It's irrelevant. But you ever wonder why we do church like this? Do you ever wonder where this comes from? Well, I love what the scholar John Nolan says. From the very beginning, the synagogue service constituted the recitation of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. A prayer. We did that. A reading of the scripture. A really good sermon. And a benediction, a blessing. And I was teaching the youth that, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, is the manual of life. And if it was good enough for him, if that's how he did it, and he felt like it was kind of important to spend his whole life participating in the synagogue, joining in. I got thinking about this, and I said, you know what? Freedom, freedom cannot be silenced. We must stand together in the public square. The synagogue was a public square. It was the townhouse meeting about 1,600, maybe 2,000 people in Nazareth gathered together, and that's where you did business. It was actually a little bank. It was where you store some of the money for um, the poor. And it's amazing to think about how Jesus picked the public square, the center of the public square, and he stood. He stood. And he stood to read. And I just think about how his father helped him with that and how, as a father, I need to help my children with that. How, man, to help them stand in the public square, to help them stand in the public square and proclaim. And Jesus obviously knew the scriptures, we're going to see. So it wasn't like he was just standing and proclaiming just anything. But first, how do they stand? I don't know if you think about this a lot, but like, what is our voice in politics, in business, in education? And Joseph I think, gave Jesus a leg up and showed him where to stand. And I think Joseph did it as a righteous man. He he was not a religious man. And I think while the outward expression of uh, a righteous man and a religious man may be the same, I think the inward motivation is different. And so we get a lot of um, flack from the culture about, you know, self-righteous or, you know, you are, you know, legalistic or... You just name it. And I really believe that while it might look the same, it's not. Our obedience, our faithfulness, our participation in this service doesn't make us religious. It makes us longing to be like Christ, to, to know him and to know him together. And that is righteousness. And so, so Joseph, while Jesus himself cursed, I think it was cursed, right? The, the Pharisees. And, and, and called them whitewashed tombs. While Jesus himself challenged the institution, Joseph participated in it. He participated in it, and he, 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 in the middle of all of that hypocrisy, 
he shined. He shined. And he taught Jesus how to shine. It wasn't separate from it. It was among it, in the middle of it. And that's something to think about when it comes to church. I hear a lot of bashing of the church, a lot of hatred towards the church, a lot of people who are done with the church, right? Because they've been burned, they've been hurt, they've been, I'm there, I'm with you. And in the sense I've been hurt, I've been burned. But that doesn't mean we stop doing what Jesus did and belong where he said we belong. So we have to stand for the church. The church is the hope of the community. And Jesus stood right in the middle of it. And so my challenge to us is to stand. Stand in your school. Stand in your workplace. Stand in the public square. Because it's where we stand that we have the greatest voice. When we experience true freedom, we courageously stand for liberty. Come on, guys. We got to stand for liberty, right? I mean, I'm tired of hearing people call me a bigot. I'm tired of hearing people call me intolerant because I say, honor your design. Honor your body. God made you, made you to play a certain way. Honor your body. Guard your marriage. You know, embrace the restraints of marriage. Self-autonomy and marriage, they kind of don't go together. And yet we make that type of freedom, self-autonomy, to be the center of our existence. And then you get married and you're like, oh, I wonder why marriages are failing. Oh, come on, guys. Guard your marriage. Embrace the restraints, the submission it requires to be in a marriage. Purify your hearts. Embrace the restraints. Don't watch that. Don't do that. Purify your heart. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy that says, I can do whatever I want. I mean, Paul himself said, you know what? Yeah. All things are, you know, I can do whatever I want, right? But not everything's profitable. Not everything's profitable. So you say, I can do it, but is it good for me? So just stop. I love verse 18 into 19. You know, Isaiah revealed what to speak. Isaiah revealed what to speak. So you have Joseph telling him where to stand. You have Isaiah telling him what to say. You think Jesus just made this up all on his own. And Jesus was a man of the word. He understood his time, and he put the two together. And he and I think Luke does this, he kind of like redacts Isaiah. There's a couple of phrases here, a couple of verses here that go back to Isaiah 58 and 63, or 61. And yet Isaiah said, this is what you should speak. And so what are we saying? We're we're proclaiming truth. We're proclaiming the gospel. But it's not something we make up. Our testimony is not something we have to just come up with ourselves. It's something that comes from history. It comes from the past. It comes from the scriptures. Um, When the authority of heaven liberates our soul, we shout from the rooftop our newfound freedom. When we realize what God has done for us, it all comes together. The old and new come together. And it is the word of God that gives us the confidence to claim and proclaim freedom to the captives. But if you don't know the word, if you don't know what the scriptures say, if we don't teach them to our children, if we don't memorize them ourselves, we have nothing to say. We have nothing to say. Um, Jesus went to Nazareth. He went to Nazareth where he grew up. 
Have you ever been home and you ever tried taking a stand? Jesus was probably a rock star at first. Everyone liked Jesus, it seemed. He grew up in this town. He was found favor in the eyes of the community. He, he was probably a really good mason, working with his hands, with his dad. He studied the Torah like nobody else's business. He went to the, to, to the temple. It would have been like, you know, to the university. And he confounded all of the scholars. Here's this rock star, Jesus. Walks into the synagogue where he grew up. And he, makes, he takes a stand. And he takes a stand and he proclaims an old message. An old message. And everybody is amazed. Everybody is fixed on him. And if you play around with this concept to proclaim an old concept, I love what Conan says, or Conan, however you want to pronounce it. He says, Jesus himself commands our proclamation. He commands you and I to proclaim him. And in some way, according to his will, he allows the hearers to experience him through our human proclamation. Through our human proclamation. Have you ever been convicted? Have you ever been like, like doing something you shouldn't be doing and someone comes around the corner and says, what you doing? And you feel that, mm, maybe I shouldn't do that? Think about this. When we proclaim we have the power of heaven behind us. When the heralds of the old, like Nebuchadnezzar sent a herald to Israel, that herald brought with him authority. His proclamation was something that was set in stone. When he came to Jerusalem and said, Nebuchadnezzar's going to come and destroy the city, you can kill the messenger, but it's not going to change the truth. And so when we proclaim truth, we are proclaiming heaven. We have authority. And so when, when someone, when you, when, great story. When you walk up to somebody and you look them in the eye and you say, why are you doing that? You have power there. When you stand before your friends and say, you know what? I just don't do that. There's power there. When you make a stand for Christ, there is authority behind it. And I've watched I've watched antagonists of the gospel. I've watched men and women just bow to Christ. A good friend of mine who was an atheist, we are in a conversation and he was ranting about some bad things. And I, and, I, and I looked at him and I simply said, why? And he felt so convicted, not in God or you want to submit to Jesus, but he, he stopped and turned. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is when you just stop doing what you're doing and you turn and do something different. I mean, how many times have we been in the public square and we've seen someone cussing and swearing or littering or you know, cursing another person or abusing another person and we just keep walking? How many times have we, have we witnessed injustice in the grocery store and we did nothing? And we just simply said, not, not my problem. We forget because we're afraid. We forget that we have authority to speak up. We have authority to proclaim truth. And when we do that, we forget that there's power behind it. 
you know, in Senegal, it, it baffled me, but like the kids learned this very quickly. Other people had the right to discipline your children. In America, that's called the big no-no. But over there, they had the right. And I think we forget that we have the right to speak up, to stand up and speak out. We have the right when we see someone stealing from the grocery store to say, hey, 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 hey. In fact, isn't that what freedom is? Like, we, we, we have to defend it. We have to, we have to stand for it. I don't think freedom is, 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 is independent. It comes as a community. It's interdependent. And we have the right to go to the grocery store and buy groceries. And we don't have the right to go there and steal groceries. And I have the right to stand for my liberties. I have the right to speak up for justice. But so many times we just say, oh, you know what? That's not my problem. We've been taught with this self-autonomy that, okay, he's going to steal that. Let the authorities deal with that. And we've come to a point in our culture where we don't speak. We're scared to silence. And I think Jesus, I mean, if you follow this passage all the way through, they try to kill the dude. They try to throw him off a cliff. I mean, that's pretty extreme. And he realized something, though. Liberty comes from our proclamation. We have to open our mouths. When we speak up, we set people free. And it's in that freedom, it's how I was freed, that we then become liberated people. And out of that, we have a society that works. We have a game that's fun to play. Umberto Boccioni. I think I said that right. Umberto Boccioni. Yeah. I went to New York. went to the art museum. I came around the corner, and I saw this photo. And I was mesmerized. The rise, or the city rises. If you get up close to it, you can see the aggressive paint strokes. You can see all of the movement. You can see, in a sense, the chaos. You can almost hear the noise of the city rising. It's a, it's a piece dedicated to modernity. Uh, is dedicated to um, the idea that all the hustle and bustle of the city and the growth. And in the middle of all that noise, there's a voice. And I felt like the Lord say, the church, it's time to rise. It's time to rise. It's time to rise. The city has risen. The city is rising up. We're going everywhere, from everywhere, and the church must rise with it. The church hasn't figured out how to do life in the city. We haven't figured out how to do church in the city. And yet, we must rise. And part of rising up, part of, of, of joining this battle, is finding our place in the public square. We must find our place in the public square, and we must speak up. And how we speak up in love, compassion, Gentleness, like I said, we don't defame, but we must speak up and we must stand for truth. Jesus stood, it says in verse 20. He stood up and then he sat down. 
And he did not do it outside of the structure. He didn't do it against the status quo. He did it inside it. I hope you get this. He was given the opportunity by the synagogue attendant to read, to stand, and then preach, they say, a sermon. And then he sat down and gave it back. He didn't usurp authority. He didn't do a Donald Trump and silence his adversaries or his critics. He didn't curse or fight. He didn't take a whip to the synagogue like he did in the temple. He joined in, stood up, spoke up, and then sat down. What would happen if we did that? What would happen if we, this congregation, did that in East Lansing and in Lansing? What would happen if we took every opportunity in the public square and participated in the chaos? Stand up, sit down. What if we joined the um, you know, parent-teacher conferences, sat on the school boards, sat in City Hall? You know, I feel like the evangelical church has relinquished its authority in our society because, one, either it's, it's, it's because of the sake of purity we've rejected too far or because of just lack of hope we've run away and hid it in our heads in the sand. Where's that happy medium? I'm telling you, I think that happy medium is in the middle of it, redeeming it, redeeming the city like this book talks about. How do we step into the city and redeem it? It's about redemption. How do we take what has been abused and broken and, and make it whole? How do, we, how do we, in love, proclaim biblical marriage? When we, the church, have degraded it, disrespected it, participate in the chaos of brokenness, right? I mean, we're, we're, no, we're not perfect. We're sinners, right? How do we... How do we redeem that concept? How do we redeem that truth? God's going to give us creative ideas. But we have to walk in that liberty first. God will give us a voice, but we have to know what it means to be free. What it means to be free. And when we know what it means to be free and we walk in freedom, when we say yes to the way God designed us to play the game, then we have a right to speak. When you become the best at your sport, people listen. I don't know about you guys or how you feel about Kobe Bryant, but he is the GOAT. He is the Black Mamba. And he has a voice in my life. When he talks about basketball, I listen. Because he's the best. He's one of the greatest. He played the game, and he played it well. And we listen to him. We listen to him. You know? Is it Ray Dalio? The dude made money. Hedge fund king. If you know about money, you know about him. Did I say his name right? I don't think I said his name right. Did I? The dude knows his stuff. And he has a voice. People listen. Maybe we need to find our voice. If you're in education, be the greatest educator. God's going to give you an opportunity to speak through that. If you're in business, be great at business. You know, if, for me, 
I'm a safety officer, like safety management, right? Like, how do I glorify God at work in that, you know? How do I, how do, I do that? Where's my voice? Where's my voice? Be the best at what you can do and play the game well. But we have to live it well as a congregation. You know, Jesus said that the people will be drawn to us by our love. We're not fooling anybody when we make believe. We're not fooling anybody when um, we don't know how to play the game together. I don't know about you guys, but I've played in uh, minor, like, uh, what do they call those? Um, I don't even remember what we call them. Pickup games. We'll call them pickup games. But, you know, you have the uh, um, baseball leagues. You guys ever do, like, work leagues or, uh, you know, some... We have a soccer thing we do on Mondays at work. And I never do it because I don't play soccer. But I've played with professional basketball players. And I've played with not-so-good basketball players. And I'm telling you what, when we all know how to play the game... It is fun. When you all know how to run the floor and pass the ball and look out for the other guy and the fundamentals, it is fun. It's fun. There's a few guys from work that I love to play with because they know how to play the game. And I'm, I'm just imploring us, begging us to play the game together. Play the game together. Most of us in here, I think all of us in here, know how to play the game. And we know how to play the game well. We know how to live our lives. We know how to live for Christ. And, and my challenge is let's do that together. There's something sweet, something just liberating about playing together. Playing together. We're stronger together. We're better together. Um, you can't play sports by yourself unless it's golf. I don't know if that's a sport. God, I'm awake. Uh, human proclamation produces freedom. The way we play is our loudest voice. Jesus gives us an example here to stand up, to speak out, to shine. He tells us how to do it. You know, when we stand up and speak out, we radiate the hope of freedom. And here's it all. Like I love what Keller says. Today it is said... The only moral absolute should be freedom. That's how we, I mean, that's what it said, right? The only moral absolute should be freedom. And the only sin should be intolerance or bigotry. I mean, that's what we're up against. Our moral absolute, freedom. And freedom defined as self-autonomy, individual autonomy. Um, Freedom as self-assertion. And I say, it's not freedom of self-assertion, but freedom from, freedom from. It's an opposite type of freedom. I disagree with the dictionary. I mean, this is the Oxford Dictionary when it says freedom to live as you choose without too many restrictions. And Kevin said it last week. Yeah, we're free. Free to serve. Free to submit. Free to... And the biblical freedom that God offers us is a freedom not just to submit to him, but to submit to one another, to allow another voice and access into your life. I love how Paul talks about it when it comes to husbands and wives. It's a little not PG, but he says you have no right to your body. You know? If you know that verse, look it up. 
we have freedom to choose, but we don't get to design the game. We don't get to rewrite the game. We don't get to uh, change the game. We have freedom to choose to play the game. So let's play it well. Let's play it well. Let's rise up and shine and play the game God designed. Amen? Let's stand.